0: welcome to the school of faith podcast i'm chris nye doing a bible deep dive right now into the book of daniel we've been in daniel 1 and chapter 2 and now we're in daniel chapter 3 looking at the famous story of the fiery furnace shadrach meshach and Abednego, and the whole deal so um get ready can open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3 unless, of course, you're driving or working out or something like that. Just listen to my voice and follow along. We hope you are well and hope that you're enjoying studying the book of Daniel alongside the book of 1 Peter on Sundays. Uh, we're in a theme this uh, right now at our church, Awakening Church in the Silicon Valley, where we are exploring the theme of exile from the New Testament in 1 Peter on Sunday and in our midweek groups in the book of Daniel. And so uh, join us in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 and the story of the fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar, it says in chapter 3 verse 1, made an image of gold. It gives about height and breadth. And it said he set it up in in a province of Babylon called Dura. And the king sent to gather everyone to come to a dedication service and everyone would bow and worship it. And here we get the line drawn in the sand. Here we get Daniel and his friends saying, like, we've come this far, no more, no more. And we have talked in the last couple episodes about how the friends have navigated some of these troubles and how they've, you know, basically done so much to settle in. Last week we looked at, or last episode we looked at Jeremiah 29, seeking the welfare or the prosperity of a city and you too will prosper. And... Here we get uh, the young men saying no to the to the worship of a golden image, and this fiery furnace story is so famous. But it you know it, it just needs some backdrop a little bit to help us even understand it. And so while there's a ton in your supplementary resources, which is over at our group's resources page at AwakeningChurch.com, the discussion guide there, the backdrop needed here is actually just to remember the backdrop from chapter two and uh and even a little bit in chapter one but mostly chapter two chapter two we just dealt with which was the vision of a large statue of various metals gold silver bronze iron and how they kind of resembled these different uh, nations and the top the head of gold was supposed to be symbolic of Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Babylon. And again that image gets destroyed by the rock which is supposed to be the kingdom of God. So, in chapter 3 verse 1 when it said King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, should should your bells be ringing? Yes, right? You should be reading the book of Daniel in order. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Chapter 2 you see an image of gold get destroyed. Chapter 3 you get Nebuchadnezzar, who just had that dream interpreted to him by Daniel, uh, constructing an entire statue of gold. So right off the bat, as a reader, you should be like, I don't think Nebuchadnezzar is listening to Daniel for how much he says he is, and he's promoting Daniel, and he's he's even, uh, you know, back in the end of chapter 2, he's promoted it. it. actually says in chapter 2, verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar uh, fell upon his faith, faith face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded an offering and incense to be offered to him. He, the, Nebuchadnezzar basically worshiping Daniel, right? And obviously, it's interesting that Daniel replies saying, you know, basically, the, the king gives Daniel all these high honors and Daniel doesn't really necessarily receive the worship. However, for as much as Nebuchadnezzar says I'm listening to you, you know, you receive highest honors, I'm going to promote you and all this stuff. At, by the cha- first verse of chapter 3, we see the absolute uh, throwing away of all of that, right? Reason and everything. So here, here we have Nebuchadnezzar constructing this statue of gold, and Daniel and his friends, they refuse to bow down out of reverence, for their own god. And right these the, the Jewish men of uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and Daniel, right, they had a reput- reputation for refusing to completely align with the king, right? In chapter 1, the food. But also, you know, the wording of their response is really crucial here, which is found in verses 16 through 18 and now actually let me let me just pause actually before we get into their response and and I want you to notice something that we don't often notice about chapter 3 is that chapter 3 is the chapter without Daniel. Yeah, read it carefully. In uh chapter 3 verse 16 it says Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered the king. This whole fiery furnace ordeal, Daniel's nowhere to be seen. Now, I think there's a number of, you know, commentators that take stabs at this. But I, I guess my own stab at this would be uh, to show the faithfulness of Daniel and its effects upon the faithfulness of other Israelites, um, showing that, you know, this story, the book of Daniel, isn't really about Daniel. It, it's kind of the same way, right, that we see stories in the Old Testament about, um Kings in Second Chronicles, or in the books of First and Second Kings, you just get kind of random offshoots of different stories that remind you that the whole story is not about David, it's not about Solomon, it's not about fill in the blank. It's actually about the faithfulness of God throughout the narrative. Okay, it's why we have a lot of unlikely heroes in the Old Testament: um, donkeys, foreigners, children. Um, you know, people who are on the outskirts, shepherds, things like that, is that the kind of the thing going on at the center is not really the thing. It's the thing going on in the margins. And that's really what we see with Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is not about Daniel's private crusade, okay? This is about the faithfulness of God to his people, which extends beyond just a special elect representative, Daniel, or whatever, right? It goes beyond that too. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the rest. And so their reply in verses 16, 17, and 18, chapter three, is something for us to focus on. You know, they they answer, they say, O Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 16, chapter three, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. The certainty there is, is shocking. And where does the certainty come from? Okay, we dealt with this, uh, just last chapter in how certain Daniel was about the revelation of the dream. There's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And we went back to Isaiah and we went to the story of Joseph and we went to the New Testament to books like first Corinthians and James chapter one, verse five, right? Uh, All of these scriptures now, the Old Testament scriptures would would be swimming around in Daniel's head as a Hebrew, right? And so where would these three young Hebrew men get the idea that God would deliver them out of a fiery furnace? Like, where would that come from? And this is is what's so important. We often think that Old Testament characters and New Testament characters for that matter operate um, on a whim or out of nowhere. Couldn't be further from the truth. All of your all of your stories throughout the Old Testament, Jesus Christ himself in particular, by the way, operate not on a whim, but on the word of God. Not out of nowhere, but out of a deep relationship with the word of God. That is who God says he is. And then them claiming that they know who he is. So where would they get this idea that a fiery furnace could not harm them. Well, it's interesting in Isaiah 43. So again, we looked at Isaiah last time as the God who reveals mysteries, the one who, uh, you know, destroys the wisdom of the wise, who um, laughs at magicians and enchanters, etc. Isaiah 43 verse two says this, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Now listen to this, the second half of verse two, when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Yeah. Isaiah, so cool, is both pointing back and pointing forward. Isaiah 43 verse two, pointing back when you pass through the waters. What's that pointing back to? The Exodus, right? We're looking at Exodus chapters 12 through 15 and the Passover and the people of Israel walking through the water. When you pass through the water, I will be with you. And through the rivers, uh, or, and yeah, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. So that's pointing back, but also in verse two, it's pointing forward to this moment, I believe, and many and actually a couple other moments, right? Daniel chapter three, verse seventeen, Isaiah says, when, and this is Isaiah forty three two. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Now. We hear, there's a concept by a scholar named Richard Hayes out of Duke Divinity School that talks about scripture echoing itself. And what he says is it is not a direct quote, but it's using the same terminology and and kind of echoing. Uh, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project calls it hyperlinking, right? If you think about an article in the New York Times, for example, that references another event, it will often have a hyperlink to their other story about that other event, right? It's referencing some trade deal that went down with China and America. It will mention the trade deal, and it will be highlighted in blue, and you could click on that to go read the story about when the trade deal happened, right? The Bible does this all the time, constantly hyperlinking to itself. Isaiah 43, three two is hyperlinking back to the story of the Exodus and forward to the story of Daniel. Therefore, once you get to the story of Daniel, right here, chapter 3, verse 17— uh, if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, from the burning fiery furnace. That hyperlinks back to Isaiah forty three two, and also to the Exodus. These Hebrew men know who God is. They know God is the one, the deliverer, the great deliverer. Right. This is all throughout Scripture, but primarily found in the Passover and found in the book of Isaiah. And so these men have total confidence. Now their second half of the response is equally important. That's 17, verse 18. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Crazy, deep theology here. They know God can deliver them from the fiery furnace. But they and and just because he can, it doesn't even matter if he will. It's strange, but the idea that God can do something overwhelms what He will or will not do. The fact that they know what God is capable of—keyword is there—is capability. What God is capable of—that's why they worship Him. That's why they follow Him. That's why they're willing to die for Him. They're not going to be swayed by what will happen. They're going to be swayed by what has happened. This, this is see, this is setting the tone for thousands of years of martyrs in the Christian Church up until this day. How are people able to uh, die for Jesus Christ? They don't just die on the hope that, or the wish, sorry, the wish that uh, God will come. They die with the hope, knowing He will come. Why? Because he has come in Christ. See, this is the biblical theology of hope. The reason we have sure expectation of the future is because we have sure uh, history of the past, right? The reason these men could stand at the fiery furnace and go in is because God delivered Israel from the waters. The reason you and I can stand firm in faith today is because God delivered Israel from the waters, these men from the fiery furnace, Christ from the grave, and that points us towards the assurance that Jesus will come and return. And in that kind of sure hope is, is where we find our security. And so it's crazy, but it, it, it's this idea of the God we serve is able to deliver us, but if not, it still doesn't matter. We know ultimately we're delivered in Christ through our relationship with him and eternal life in heaven. We know what will go on here, right? We know we know how this story ends. And that's exactly what these young men do. And so they go into the fiery furnace, right? And famously what's seen is not 3 men in the fiery furnace, but 4. 4 men in the fiery furnace. You see this kind of towards the end, right? Saw that the fire had no power over their bodies and those men and he looks in there and he sees three, right? But I see four men, he says in verse 25. He answered them, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. It's a key word here. It's like the son of the gods. What are we pointing to here? What are we seeing? Well, we're, many scholars believe we're seeing what's called a Christophany, Christophany is a, a personal appearance of Jesus Christ before the incarnation. Christophany, okay, a personal appearance of Jesus Christ before um, the incarnation. So we actually see Christophanies bef- uh, in in other places. There's oftentimes where someone's seen like a son of man or an angel like a man. Um, so maybe famously times that this has been interpreted, and again, this is debated upon, but so it's not like, uh, don't take this as the one interpretation of it, but this is the most convincing one to me, is that Jesus Christ was with them in the fiery furnace. And in fact, if you're with us on Sundays at Awakening, this is where um, the song Another in the Fire comes from. So if you uh, sing that, you know you'll sing that with a level of greater intensity. I hope after having read Daniel chapter three, is you see that Jesus is the one who joins us in the fire. But one of the Christophanies I like to point to from this point are the appearances of Christ uh, as a person or a personification of the of the divine second person of the Trinity. Crazy stuff happening here, but a great one to look at is Genesis thirty two. There's actually in the Hebrew word is a man, but a man who appears to Jacob and Jacob wrestles with him, but it says that he's wrestling God. So what is he? Is he wrestling a man or is he wrestling God? Well, the answer is yes, right? Because who is Christ? Christ is man, Christ is God. And so you get these kind of like little hints throughout your Old Testament where Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, appears. It's called a Christophany. And here's a man, a fourth man. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar describes him like a son of the gods, the Elohim. So some people say this might be an angel, and that that's fine too. We can interpret that that way. Um, I think that's a fair interpretation. Some would argue that this is Daniel. I, I would I would say no to this. One, because every other place in the narrative of Daniel, his name is mentioned, and he's mentioned all over. And again, chapter three, he's absent, and we don't really know why. And also, Nebuchadnezzar would have known Daniel. So he would have seen, he says, four men, and I see one of them is like a son of the gods. So this is a way of kind of separating the fourth man in there. And then the final thing is, is this not just so much like Jesus Christ? You see, we have the um, incredibly privileged position of thousands of years of church history and interpretation uh, even if we just had the new testament alone we'd be able to look and say no this is very much like jesus the one who for our sake became poor right the one who went through the fire on our behalf the one who consumed the flames and um right uh who consumed the flames for us who consumed who conquered hell and hades for us And the other reason why we think this is Jesus is in verses 27, 28, and 29, it's all Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So here's the gospel. Are you ready for this, right? Uh, Three men enter. Four men are in the fire. Three men exit. So one of the classic doctrines of Christianity is the substitutionary atonement. Which is Christ taking our place in the flames, right? In the love of God, but also the justice of God and staying there on our behalf so that we can walk freely. And to quote the book of Daniel here, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had, uh, sorry, had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair on their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. How had no fire or smell or smoke come upon them? Because it was absorbed in the man who was like the son of God. Yeah. You see, the gospel is not that Jesus just joins us in the fire. It's that Jesus takes the fire. Jesus removes the fire from us. And while we walk free, he absorbs it on our behalf. That's the substitution. That's the atonement. He who stood in my place, right? Uh, Wounded for us, right? The the book of Isaiah talks about the suffering servant as being uh, taken the transgressions of humanity on himself. He was wounded for our transgressions. And he was taken into the fire for our transgressions. And you'll notice this was uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's transgression. It was to not uh you know obey the king and Jesus sees that faith the heavenly father, son and spirit sees that faith enters in to protect them taking the punishment for them and letting them walk free. So this is as clear as we can see the gospel in the book of Daniel this in probably chapter 6. But a beautiful beautiful christophany just like the man in Genesis 32 or Another thing is a theophany, a physical appearance of God, like the burning bush in Exodus three, but all to communicate the character and nature of God, who is the one who will allow us to walk through fire, though not be burned, and through the flame, even though it will not consume us, Isaiah 43, verse two. And this is Daniel chapter three, a beautiful story hyperlinking us all throughout the Old Testament and ultimately leading us to trust the wisdom and beauty of God, the one who stands in our place, who suffers on our behalf, so that we can walk free, unscathed, unsinged, untouched by the fire. That's Daniel chapter 3.